Welcome to Time to Adapt, where we break down movies and the books behind them. I am Selena, and with o- with me always is... Mac. <laughs> how you doing today, Mac? I'm doing pretty good, Selena. How you doing? I am good. The heat is killing me. But besides oh that... Yeah, we're I'm recording in a... Heat we're wave. not recording in the uh, typical Zima booth right now. Yes, he is away. So we're doing this on our own in a little apartment right on Capitol Drive or right across from Culver's. It's Don't dangerous. tell everyone where I live. It's delicious. <laughs> but it's delicious. It's yeah. so good. Okay. So <laughs> we're off to a great start, off ladies to and a gentlemen. Great start. Okay. Today we are going to be discussing Michael Crichton's Jurassic World uh, Park. Fuck Jurassic World. <laughs> Sorry. I just got it like it's wow. a world. Uh, yeah. We're moving on. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So, yes, as you said, we're, we're digging into Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park. Because it is the best. Yes. And, and as part of we wanted to do this um, to get ready for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which is already out. But like, you know. We we got to put our two two cents in. Also, I saw it last week, and I have things to say about it. I we haven't seen it, and I still have things to say about I'm it. I'm gonna rant. It's gonna be. <laughs> I will also. I'm gonna rant. rage. It's going to be very very violent. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Please don't break my furniture. Uh, you're not. It's not, <laughs> not that bad. It's just okay. More of, it's like Alex. It's like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and Rage. Okay, we can deal with that. Yeah. yeah. So, the book begins in 1989, where a series of strange animal attacks have occurred in Costa Rica and on a nearby island of Isla Nublar. It was a fictional island. One of which is a worker severely injured on a construction project, as the employee keeps stating. Um, and they refuse to disclose any more information about it. After that, it cuts to... Paleontologist Alan Grant is sent by John Hammond to come to this island. Well, okay. Well, we are introduced to two characters. Um, Alan Grant, who's a paleontologist, and his graduate student, well, a graduate student, Ellie Sattler. And they are contacted by the billionaire, John Hammond, to um, come to the island to kind of... um, Kind of uh, to give their impression of this park that John Hammond has created. He is the founder and executive officer of International Genetic Technologies, or InGen. Um, Upon arrival, the preserve is revealed to be Jurassic Park, a theme park showcasing cloned dinosaurs. The animals have been recreated using damaged DNA... DNA from dinosaurs found in blood inside of gnats, ticks, and mosquitoes that have been fossilized and preserved in amber. Yeah. yeah. So, as we all know, because most of us have seen the movie. Well, we're talking about the, the book yeah. right now. We're yeah. giving the we're, synopsis for the book. Yeah. Because the movie definitely deviates. But they still have a very similar point in that yeah. something goes wrong and shit goes crazy. Yeah. That's that's it. And what's interesting about the book is that it is very much a cautionary tale about genetic engineering, which also the, the movie is able to pull pull together pretty nicely as well. But what is really fascinating about it is um, how the book is very violent. Oh, oh, so violent. It's like- a hard R. This is... 
people getting their guts ripped up and it's like every death is detail like most of the deaths are detailed from the person who is dying um and it's like very descriptive so uh, in the book, um, we find out that once they get to the island, there's this one character um, who's called Nedry, Dennis Nedry. He's been contracted by Lewis Dodge. Well, Nedry works at the park as um, he's like an IT dude. Yeah. Um, but a more fancy one. Um, but there's this other character called Louis Dodgenen, who's a geneticist and agent for InGen's arch-rival arch Biosyn. And he gets Nedry to try and steal some, like, embryos to give to Biosyn so then they can kind of, like, catch up. Anyways, Nedry, obviously it goes wrong. He basically shuts down the whole park, like in the movie, and then as he's trying to catch up to the ship of like to get before it leaves he gets killed but like it's all from his point of view and then it's like the poison hits his eyes and then he sees his guts falling out of his body because the dinosaurs rip open his stomach it's like and he goes super blind hard. he goes blind and he knows that um he can feel the Dilophosaurus's jaws around his head, and that's how, like that, how that's how it ends. It's just like his the jaws are around his head, and, and then, all boom. he can think of is just let it end. Yeah, that's exactly how it ends. It's, and it's super dark. Oh yeah, um, there's a really fascinating. I, I I sent you one of them on YouTube. There's a artist who took the first took two sequences from the book and storyboarded them like direct from the book and. So there's the T-Rex, the first T-Rex attack, as well as Nedry's death. And both of them are done so well, and with, so, with they're very, uh, they're put to the audiobook um, narration to make it, fo- to make it follow. And it's, it's really fascinating. And it really kind of, it's an interesting way to put that up against what you see in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, as Mac had said, like this whole book uh, is a cautionary tale. Um, It kind of... It ends very differently, and there are aspects to it that are very different that I want to quickly go over before we dive into, like, the info about the book, like, you know, Michael Crichton, who who he was as an author, kind of what he's done, and then info on just, like, the book itself, um, just kind of diving in a bit more about the synopsis. So... Basically, everything that's in the film, for those who are familiar, is this, is the same when it comes to the Tyrannosaurus attack on the guests on the tour. Um, it's a little bit different when, after that point, uh, because Grant and the children... One, Grant actually likes kids <laughs> in the book. He also has um, a beard in the book. Yeah, and then in the book, um, the kids are... Tim is the oldest, and Lexi is the... Youngest. Less is the youngest, and she's about like six or seven. She's so she's really young. Yeah. So as they're trying to make their way back to the visitor center, they actually raft down the jungle river, carrying news that because the, I guess the time factor in the book is that before they've left the visitor center, like bef- they noticed. Um, no, they noticed. I think it was um, in the in the van in the. Jeeps, right? That 
two, they saw raptors. They were looking through binoculars and they saw raptors on the boat that was leaving the island. So they, after the T-Rex attack, because the, before the T-Rex attack, they were going to try and go back to the visitor center to call back the boat because these raptors were going to go back to the mainland. And they were like, we cannot have that. So the T-Rex attack, like kind of fucks with that plan. So now they're going down the jungle river, trying to go back to the visitor center. Um, basically they kind of, they, they go through a lot of adventures. there, being chased by dinosaurs and the T-Rex and die, almost dying multiple times because that's the story. Um, then this character, Gennaro, who's the, he's a lawyer from the investors who came to the island to kind of figure out if it was still, if the project was still viable or not. He's like, orders the island to be destroyed. But Alan Grant is like, before we can do that, we have to count how many raptors or how many animals are breeding outside of, who are breeding in the park. Because initially... They were like, yeah, none of the animals can breed because, they're, one, they're all female. Two, we made sure that they were sterile. But then... And also, we, we crossbred them with amphibious species, not aware of the fact that a lot of amphibious species, amphibian species have the ability to change their sex. Yeah, in, in a same-sex environment. Yeah. So many of the dinosaurs were like, so... You know how it was previously... You know how it was a lady? Well, now I got a dick. <laughs> yeah, basically. So, yeah, so the animals started breeding. So Grant's like, maybe we should figure out how many of these animals are breeding. Um, which, in the... Like, if they're going to destroy the animal at the island, does it matter? But, you know, Grant's like, let's do this. And then Grant, Ellie Sattler, Muldoon, who's the park ranger. Park game warden, yeah. Kate, who's a badass. Oh my he's god, he's a fucking badass. awesome in the book. I love him so much. And then Gennaro, who's a pussy. <laughs> uh, they set out to the park to find the wild raptor nests, and then they're like, holy fuck. These raptors are smart and scary as hell. And then Hammond, who's a dick. He's such a dick in the book. Yeah, that's the one thing that's like, the, I think... Anybody who <laughs> watches the movie and then watches and then, then like reads the book will all be shocked at is how much John Hammond is a dick in the book. In he has no like in the in the movie he's shown to be like a gloving grandfather who brought his kids because his grandkids because he's like I want this park to be for you guys. In the uh, in the book. He's like, he's very manipulative. He only brings his grandkids to the island, not because he likes them. It's because he wants um, Gennaro to see, oh, look, this park is fine. The kids love it. This is kind of the target audience. It'll be all fine. And then as soon as everything goes to shit, he's totally oblivious, blames everyone else for the park going to shit. And he even puts his own, he puts his own grandchildren at day, at risk, yeah. Because he doesn't care. He, the only reason in the book, the only reason he brings the kids there, is to make a point of like this is the this is what yeah, the main exactly. audience is. Which in a way, it's kind of what he is. He does in the in the but movie. in the in the movie, he's a little bit more loving about. Oh, it. he's he, way more. He, loving. It's not like it's not shown as a calculated act. It's more like, well, this is the target audience. Let's see how they receive it. Yeah. 
Um, whereas in the book, he's like one. He they kind of give a brief history as to him, and he's always been a manipulative man who's only out to gain. Uh, he's he's kind of just fueled by greed because in the movie. Um, they make a point to be like, oh, Hammond wants this park available for everyone. In the book, Hammond is like, no, I know people will pay $10,000 to come see this dinosaur park. I want to make people pay $10,000 if you, I want this park to be for the rich, basically. But, yeah, so anyways, so Hammond ends up dying in the book. Um, he's eaten by um, these scavenger dinosaurs called pre Precomsomnathus or comp, Compies, which is easier to say. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I know I'm going to butcher all these dinosaur names that I heard. <laughs> yeah. They, like, I had to listen to the audiobook because, like, I can't pronounce these dinosaur names. Yeah. They're long. I listen to I'm the, dyslexic. With almost, every, <laughs> with almost everything that we've read, like, doing this podcast, I've almost always done the audiobooks because it's just so much easier to... Mm-hmm. Well, I love reading, um, but just, like, it's definitely easy when you're doing other tasks to listen to the, audi- to the audiobook. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so Hammond dies in the book, and... Then, basically, how the book ends, which differs from the film, is the survivors are rescued by the fictitious Costa Rican Air Force, and the Costa Rican Air Force then, like, declare the island hazardous and, like, raise the island with napalm. Yeah. They just, like, blow everything to shit. And then there's, like, an epilogue, and it says, like, like weeks later, Grant is visited by Dr. Martin Gutierrez, who's introduced in, like, the prologue bit, where they discuss, like, there's these dinosaur attacks that are happening on the mainland, and Gutierrez is one of the doctors that you're introduced to who's trying to figure out what these attacks are. Yeah. Um, and he talks to Grant about how an unknown pack of animals have been migrating through the Costa Rican jungle eating lysine-rich crops and chickens. Why that's important is because on the island, they they engineered these dinosaurs to be lysine-dependent. That way, that would have, like, some control over them. Which obviously hasn't since they've found... (laughs) They've made it to the mainland, and they're wild. (laughs) And they can breed. And then it ends with him informing that Grant and the rest of them are probably not going to leave um, the island anytime soon because they're just all tied up in all this... um, Legal trouble. Legal trouble. Well, that Hammond dragged them into. Yeah. With the Costa Rican government and the U.S. And government, they put the, they send the kids home. Right? This is implied. They're like, yeah, we'll send the kids home. They're they're they're, they're not gonna. Yeah, they're kids. Know. So a little bit of info. So that, for that long synopsis, but so um, the author. So we're gonna talk about the author right now. Um, Michael Crichton is probably one of the one of the best known American um, authors of the past like you know thirty forty years. Yeah, he's. An accomplished author, screenwriter, film director, and producer. But he's mostly done... Most of his books are in the science fiction, thriller, and medical fiction kind of genres. Um, he has books that sold over 200 million copies, and dozens of them have been adapted into films. And they all... Almost all the books have a, like, a, a bit of an action... 
vibe to them. They f- heavily feature technology. Yeah. In almost all of his books. Um, and, and with a few exceptions. And unlike so many other books out there, the science is correct. The technology or is close correct. to It's pretty correct. close to accurate. Yeah. yeah. So, among the other things that he's written, um, the ones that have been given uh, adaptations include Andromeda Strain, Sphere, Rising Sun, Disclosure, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, obviously, Timeline, and Next. Um, He's also directed the films Westworld, not the HBO version, the original from 1973. Like, he wrote and directed um, Westworld, um, Coma, The Great Train Robbery, Looker, and Runaway. And of all of his books, the one that he stated that he's the most, like, proud of was The Great Train Robbery, which is a really good movie, too. I need to see that. I haven't seen that. Sean Connery, Leslie Andown, Donald Sutherland... How have I not seen it? It's so good. (laughs) Uh, So he was born October 23rd, 1942 in Chicago. As John Michael Crichton. John Michael Crichton. But he goes by Michael Crichton. Yeah. Uh, That's how we all, as the public, know him. Or knew of him. Yep. He was always into writing. He was raised on Long Island in Roslyn, New York. Um, he had a column related to travel published in the New York Times, even. F- and he had 14. planned on, yep. That's like pretty ass. And he like, planned on becoming a writer and began his studies at Harvard College in the 60s. He obtained his bachelor's degrees in biological anthropology, summa cum laude, in 1964. And then he enrolled in Harvard Medical School, where he began publishing work. And while he was publishing work in medical school, he began writing novels with the pen names John Lang and then Jeffrey Hudson. But when he graduated from Harvard, which he obtained an MD in 1969, and he undertook a postdoctoral fellowship study at the Salik Institute for Biological Studies in La Jolla, California, and from 1969 to 1970. He never obtained a license to practice medicine. He devoted himself instead just to writing. Yeah, so that's kind of where, when it comes to, like, the Andromeda strain and some of his other novels, like, that background of just him studying for his MD, uh, that's kind of where all that came from, because he was already, he was kind of involved in that, um, that study, so he was already kind of attuned to what to do when it came to writing and how to write about, and was, like, biological engineering and all that stuff, because he already had, like, a medical background. And what's really cool about that is that um, the first book he published under the name Michael Crichton was The Andromeda Strain. Mm-hmm. And he had a, the film adaptation of it came out less than a year later. So it was, like, that's how it was quick. Yeah. It was very popular. And with Jurassic Park, like, uh, wasn't he... Finishing, he was finishing up Jurassic Park when he already sold the rights to it. Yeah, something like that. Like so, he was already just like bam, bam, bam. When it comes to adaptations, what's also interesting is that when the when Jurassic Park the film came out, um, Crichton had a very distinct um, thing that under under his belt where he was the only author to have a number one movie, Jurassic Park a number one TV show, ER, which he co-created, as well as a number one book, Disclosure. Yeah. And there aren't... I don't think maybe, aside from maybe Stephen King, there's very few others who have ever had something very close to that that feel. So, the book was written in 1990, 
and it was, it's divided into seven sections iterations, and the iterations all deal with the chaos theory that Dr. Yeah. Ian Malcolm talks about in the book. Yeah, and the book's introdu- uh, introduction kind of um, each iteration is like a quote from Ian Malcolm's like uh, chaos theory like thesis that like in the book that he's that like he talks about throughout. Um, oh. Quick, before I forget, another thing, in the book, Ian Malcolm is, like, severely injured. Here, he just has, like, his leg is hurt. But in the book, he's so severely injured that he's, like, drugged up. So most of the time, he's just, um, he'll... He'll be rant, up ranting about ranting his about theories. like ca- chaos theory, why the park is going to shit. Um, basically, that he was right, but also he's kind of his role in the book is like this um, physio, like the physiological sense, I guess. Uh, ideas of he's like kind of um, the cautionary. Giving, telling us the cautionary tales, like yeah, definitely yeah. Um, that's and, and like almost every. <laughs> I didn't word that as well as I had hoped. No, but I tried, uh, you, folks. You, you went for it. You, <laughs> I you reached, tried. <laughs> you reached for the stars. You reached for them. <laughs> so, like we said, it's a cautionary tale about genetic engineering. Um, and it also what really shocked me. I hate math. But what's interesting about the book is that Same. <laughs> it made it made a really good argument for mathematics to a point where I'm just like, dude, what? like it, it kind of showed it the real world implications of mathematical theory concepts, yeah, yeah, concepts and theories. And like, so the chaos, and so how the chaos theory, which I'm going to do a terrible job explaining it, but basically it's how a whole like system of a, a whole system is created. But when one thing goes wrong in the system. It just helps. It just causes everything to to collapse slowly but surely, going to a bigger and more severe system. Yeah, and it's it's like really uh, fascinating. Like when when like when bought down. Like I'm doing a terrible job of like um, summarizing it, but in like the way that the books are, or the way that it's, it's explained in the books, it's truly fascinating. Mm-hmm. To the point where I can't remember exactly. I believe. Well, it was, they yeah. use the they use the, the um, he used dragon curves. Um, Malcolm uses dragon curves to simulate the actions that were to take place regarding how everything comes together and everything falls apart. And in the movie and in the book, he uses the example of a droplet of water on like your hands. Like, there's so many different like you can't predict where the drop of water will roll off of. Because there are so many, um, I guess you could say imperfections or factors of the surface of your hand that will dictate where the drop of water will go. So you, there's no one place that the droplet of water will go. They say it better in the movie and in the book. I am not a mathematician. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, but it, it definitely is really interesting. Um, the novel began as a screenplay. Which Crichton wrote in 1983 about a graduate student who recreates a dinosaur. Um, he changed it a little bit because um, originally, when he re- re- he gave it, he worked on it a little bit more, and he made it so it was told from the point of view of the kid of uh, I believe the character of, of Tim Tim yeah. Murphy. Um, 
But he realized that uh, everyone would read it. The draft felt it would be better if it was told by an adult. Uh, of course, the book came out and it became a bestseller and it became Crichton's signature novel. As well as very good reviews for it that ran all the way from New York Times to Entertainment Weekly calling it great intellect- sheer intellectual entertainment. There was some... Um uh, like some critiques about it um the entertainment weekly piece and then um another critic andrew ferguson's review in the los angeles times they criticized Crichton's characterization as heavy-handed and his characters as cliche um ferguson further explained that about ian malcolm's dime store uh philosophizing and predicted that the movie's adaptation would be undoubtedly trashy. Boy, was he wrong. <laughs> the later movies, yes. Trashy. But the that's first because, one... That's because Crichton was involved with this one, I feel. Yeah. He conceded that the book's only virtue is its genuinely interesting discussions of dinosaurs, DNA, research, and paleontology and chaos theory. It is really interesting about that, but like, it is interesting that there was some critique, but most... Of the reviews, overwhelmingly, the reviews were positive. Yes. So, with obviously, the- oh, I'm sorry, I'll just quickly cut. So, so <laughs> obviously, the novel became more famous following the release of the film adaptation, and it was awarded um, the secondary Bilby Award in 1996. Mm, yeah. So, the film <coughs> was before before the book was even published, as you said before, studios were putting in bids for the film rights. Uh, with, with Universal Studios backing it, and Spiel, Steven Spielberg acquired the rights for $1.5 million, and this was before it was even published. So, after that, Crichton came on for an additional $500,000 to adapt the novel for the screen, and then David Cope... Who was another writer. Mm-hmm. Who was another screenwriter. Yes, David Cope is famous for Jurassic Park, but he also... He's also done everything from, like, the Mission Impossible, some of the early Mission Impossible, uh, Spider-Man, War of the Worlds, Angels and Demons. Um, oh, I like Angels and Demons, but we'll talk about that another time. Some other time. <laughs> oh, he also co-wrote... I liked the book. I'm not sure. He, he also co-wrote Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, so... We don't talk about that movie. Not in my house. Not in my house. I guess we're going to have a discussion later. We will. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Before Selena strangles me, she just gave me a death stare. Like a Hillary Clinton death stare. It was a horrifying death stare. Before... Okay, just a quick little blurb to to understand why I wanted to strangle Mac. I love Indiana Jones. I hold it very near and dear to my heart. Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls is not included in that. It is in a trash fire out in the corner away from my heart because Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls sucks. I was... I'm with you until I had a friend who had a good explanation for it to the point where I'm like, okay, it's harmless. <laughs> okay. We're not moving on. <laughs> perhaps that's a conversation for another time. So anyway, <laughs> back to Jurassic Park. So a good film. <laughs> so Universal Studios at that point, um Spielberg had just made Hook with Universal and it was not a a hit as they I don't believe it was a hit as they wanted it to be. Um but Spielberg was at the time he wanted to film Schindler's List. Um, at that point, Sid Sheenberg, president of Universal Studios, had said that he would give a green light to Schindler's List if he made Jurassic Park first. 
So he decided to do that, and um, in his words, he was just really trying to make a good sequel to Jaws on land. Basically. And that's pretty much... That, that, that's, <laughs> Except for the dinosaurs are shown more as, like, animals rather than monsters. Yeah. The raptors kind of are shown are, are kind of like monsters in the in this in Jurassic Park. Yeah, the T Rex too, but then he's like he swoops in as a hero. Mike drops and like it's dope. Yeah. So, um, Spielberg had hired Bob was thinking of hiring a Bob Bob Gurr who was going to help create the dinosaurs. He created the mechanical King Kong for Universal Studios Hollywood's King Kong encounter. Um, because he, upon realizing that life-size dinosaurs would be pretty expensive and not that convincing, he went with some animatronics through Stan Winston, as well as Phil Tippett to go to create go-motion dinosaurs for long shots. Uh, credited his dinosaur supervisor, Phil. <laughs> you had one job. You were supposed to supervise those dinosaurs, and you let them loose. <laughs> you blew it. You blew it. People died, Phil, on your watch, Phil. They Damn died. It. Damn it, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> so, eventually, they also got Michael Lenterito to supervise the onset effects and Dennis Murren of Industrial Light and Magic to do digital comp- comp- compositing. Good God, I can't talk. Words are hard. They are. I feel like if our podcast had a drinking game, every time we said words are hard. Or lort. Or lords, yeah. <laughs> Or if you heard me heavily breathing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm aware of it. Well, just the magnitude of every book that we've had to read, it just gets to you. Ha, ha, ha. That's so funny. Oh, my God. Anyway. (laughs) Paleontologist Jack Horner supervised the designs to help fill Spielberg's desire to portray the dinosaurs as animals. Um, This led to the entry of certain concepts about dinosaurs, especially the theory that dinosaurs evolved into birds and had very little in common with lizards. One of the first consequences was the removal of the raptors' flicking tongues in Tippett's early animatics. As Horner complained, it was implausible. So, our good friend, the one that we all love, Alan Grant, was played by Sam Neill. Sam Neill was not the first choice, though, to play Alan Grant. The first, originally, was offered first to William Hurt. He turned it down without reading the script. Damn it, Hurt. I'm actually not mad. I really like Sam Neill as Alan Grant. I do. But there's one person who was offered it who could have been better. And that was Harrison Ford. Ooh. That, ooh, I don't know, man. Yeah. I'm so used to, like, the idea of Alan Grant as Neil, like, as Sam Neil. But Harrison Ford. Yeah, yeah. And this is, like... Ooh. Just imagine that we there there is an alternate universe there out there where Harrison Ford was Han Solo, Doctor Grant, and Indiana Jones. Sploosh. Sploosh. <laughs> I want to get that on a shirt. Just sploosh. <laughs> Time to adapt. No. <laughs> Please no. <laughs> I can't be known for Sploosh. No. I have so much else to offer. <laughs> anyway, so Sam Neill was ultimately cast as Grant three or four weeks before filming began. Uh, Neil said that it all happened real quick. I hadn't read the book. 
and he knew nothing about it and hadn't heard anything about it. And in a matter of weeks, he was working with uh, with Spielberg. So he was like, damn, this is a whirlwind. Yep. So Janet Hisherson was the film's casting director, and she felt that Jeff Goldblum would be the right place to play Ian Malcolm after reading the novel. Also, Jim Carrey had... <laughs> It cracks me up thinking. Audition to play Ian Malcolm. Life finds a way. <laughs> I, I can't, can't imagine. I can't imagine that, that. It would be too ridiculous. Yeah. Jim Carrey, like, I know that he has some good acting. And T-Rex comes, alrighty then! <laughs> but all I can, when I see Jim Carrey, all I think is the Riddler, the mask, and like... The Grinch. In the Grinch. I can't see seriousness. No. Really, that said it. But anyway, so according to, like, uh, Janet Hurston, she said, Carrie was terrific, too, but I think pretty quickly they all loved the idea of Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. So filming took place in California and Hawaii between August and November of 1992, and post-production rolled until May 1993, supervised by Spielberg in Poland as he filmed Schindler's List. So, wait, the film came out in 93, and it came out, like, in June of 93. Yeah. So they were still doing post-production a month before it, before it dropped. <laughs> I mean, okay, I know that, like, that, that was the case for, like, when they were shooting, Peter Jackson was shooting Return of the King. Mm-hmm. They were still working on the post-production of The Ring Melting three days before, like, three or four days before the film was supposed to premiere, so I'm like... Damn. So, uh, getting back onto track here, because we always seem to come off every now and then. Yeah, why? We have a script. We do. do We're looking at the script. Do we? Kind of. We just kind of wing it most of the time. (laughs) Don't tell them our secrets. (laughs) No, we do have a script, everybody. We come prepared. Yes, we are. are Whether we stick to it, that's up to the fates. Yeah. I I think the heat's finally getting to me. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, so they had uh, an extensive marketing campaign, like $65 million, uh, which included licensing deals with 100 companies. Jurassic Park grossed over $914 million worldwide in its original theatrical run, becoming the highest-grossing film of 1993 and the highest-grossing film ever at the time, a record held until the release of Titanic in 1997. Uh, it was re- well-received by critics who praised its special effects John Williams' musical score, and Spielberg's direction. Following its 3D re-release in 2013 to celebrate its 20th anniversary, Jurassic Park became the 17th film in history to surpass 1 billion in ticket sales. The film won more than 20 awards, including three Academy Awards for its technical achievements and visual effects and sound design. Yeah. Damn. It's a good film. And yeah. <laughs> and like, 93 was the peak year for Spielberg, because that was the year when he made Will Jurassic Park and Schindler's List both came out. Both Damn. just like two of like the best known, one of the best films of all time. And because they both did so well, it just made, it just made, Spielberg was already a well-known director. I mean, you know, doing the Indiana Jones movies are big enough and Jaws, but... I think it was I think it was the year 1993 that he went from to like godlike film director aspects. I mean, maybe I'm overcompensating because you know ET got ET also did pretty well and 
other stuff that Spielberg's done, but I like to think that, like, maybe it's peak 90s Spielberg, to put it better. So, one of the things that I think is very interesting about the about the book is that it very much is an um, reminiscent of one of Crichton's earlier things, Naz Westworld. Westworld. Yeah. Fuck Selena, I and I, Selena and I both love the TV show dearly. It's I cry so, because I love it so much. It's pretty damn great. I can't contain the nerdness when it comes yeah. to Westworld. It's fantastic. So, But yeah, I've yet to see the original. Mac has seen the original. Yeah, it's film. one of my dad's favorites. Um, shout out to you, Pops. <laughs> so... Hi, Mom. <laughs> so... Westworld came out in 1973. It was screenplay was written and it was directed by Michael Crichton, and it was about a theme park that was manufactured and had these robots, and the robots all were like cowboys and Indians and all sorts of stuff. And there's, of course, something goes wrong, and some of the some of the some of the the hosts, so to speak, go haywire and they start like attacking the and guests. They start attacking which are the, the guests. Humans. Yes. And it's very much very similar to how Jurassic Park worked. And I think part of that is because Crichton was working on Jurassic Park in the 80s, and that was a couple of years after Westworld had come out. And Westworld, by all accounts, did not do nearly as well as they were expecting it to do. Yeah. But it also just has so many very similar aspects to the point where I'm just like, why, when reading the book, I'm like, wow, this sounds a lot like I know how Westworld was set up. Um, definitely less less violence, even in the PG thirteen film. So, wait. So you're saying Jurassic Park was less violent than Westworld? Yeah. Uh, and no, no. Um, or other way around. Other way around. Sorry. Oh, so Westworld the film is yeah. less violent than it is. Jurassic it's, P- it's PG. Park. It's not the most. It's not like super violent, but there is violence in it, and it's got Yul Brenner as an unstoppable killing machine. So, Dope. you can't be against that. It's very much kind of like Terminator esque in how he how he's presented. So, uh, it's definitely definitely like one of the best. Um, and going back to Jurassic Park. One thing that I don't think is really easy to explain is just how much people love Jurassic Park. It's everywhere. As a kid... Okay, as a kid, I wanted to be a paleontologist. That's because of Jurassic Park. I had, like, all of these... I had... I had a little puppet T-Rex. Like, I put my hand in, it was like... (laughs) And my parents wanted me to get a second one, because there was, like, a Triceratops, and, like, you could do puppet Triceratops. But instead, I got a second T-Rex, and I had these two T-Rexes. And I remember, like, they made a big deal of, like, you knew it was a official Jurassic Park merchandise, because they had a little... Uh, like a little mark on the toys that said JP. Look for the mark of Jurassic Park. Figures and figures each sold separately. <laughs> and I had like I had these PBS video cassettes of the dinosaurs and like knew all this stuff and it all went out the window when I like decided that I'd like to you know make movies. So but I used to You know, can make I'll, movies about dinosaurs. That's what I wanted to do. Someday. I love dinosaurs. Well, wait, what was your intro to Jurassic Park? It's funny. I remember... 
my mom and dad tell me very different stories. My dad <laughs> has told me that when I was like a year old, they all went and saw Jurassic Park. I don't know why the hell you would do that because it's take a one-year-old baby to, to see a tr- Jurassic Park. And my parents had like a deal where, like, when I started crying, one of them would take me out, and then you know, like, switch back and forth like that. But my mom's like, I don't think we would do that. We, we're not that. We're not that bad of parents, are we? <laughs> so. I remember borrowing a, v- a tape of it from my neighbor. Um, and it wasn't in the house for a long time because, for a few years, because my mom was concerned that it would be that it was a little too violent for me. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting it for Christmas one year, and then watching it that day. And then even then, my my dad would like cover my ear, my eyes at like certain parts when people get eaten. But you know, it's always been there. It's it's like almost it's been a part of my part of my, my childhood for a very long time and I had coloring books and all sorts of stuff and I mean motherfucking T-Rex <laughs> that motherfucking T-Rex this is one of the most iconic things in film oh for real when he eats the rafter and then it's like when <laughs> the, the, the banner card goes down it's so good. And it's also, like, in a way, it's kind of where I, like, first heard about Steven Spielberg. <laughs> because, like, back in the 90s, you know, his name was attached to all this cool stuff. Animaniacs, um, all the, um, there's a, there was a bunch of Warner Brothers cartoons that he had his, that he had put his, he'd gotten his hands dirty with. And it's fascinating, really. Yeah. I don't really remember my first introduction because of just how I grew up. I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of films, but I was allowed to watch a bunch of documentaries. So, first, I, I loved dinosaurs as a kid to begin with. I um, I would watched all the Walking with Dinosaurs, all the, like... Yep. Yep. All those. That was um, my shit. That was my shit. That was my shit. Oh my god! All the have you seen with... it lately? No, it has not aged well. <laughs> I oh, I did watch one. I think it was like probably two years ago where I started. One of them was on Netflix, and I was like, "Oh my god, my childhood!" And I was like, "Holy shit." <laughs> The animation is horrific. <laughs> and this, and I remember when that came out. It, it was mind blowing. Oh my god! I remember walking, watching it as a kid because it's like it's like uh, Planet Earth practically, but for dinosaurs. Yeah. And so it's like, and then the mama dinosaur, and then you see all these baby dinosaurs, and you follow them, and then it's like, and then this baby dinosaur didn't make it, and then you see it get killed and eaten. And it was just super epic, and then they had all these different ones with, um, they had like an Ice Age, like, version that I watched. So I, I was like exposed to, like, when it came to watching dinosaurs on the TV, like, through that. So I think it was when I was probably 12 or 11. That's when my parents were like, yo, we've moved to Wisconsin. Now we like, like, fuck those rules that we had originally about what you can watch. And that's when I kind of expanded as to what media I consumed. And I think that's when my first time I watched Jurassic Park, but instantly fell in love with it. Cause one, it just, it holds up to today. It looks so good. Yeah. The the blending, like, you can definitely, because of what we're used to when it comes to CGI, you can tell what is CGI and what is um, 
practical effect, yeah. but they blend it so well and how the, the, the film is shot. It's not glaring. It doesn't distract. Yeah. But if you're looking for it, yeah, you can tell. But it works so well. And it just feels so real, and the actors are reacting to real dinosaurs, yeah. and the, I'm just like geeking out the whole time because I'm like, it's a dinosaur. So because I'm a five year old. <laughs> <laughs> so if we're talking about Jurassic Park, of course we have to talk about the sequels. Oh, Maybe one. Do we day- have to? Okay. 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 <laughs> you go first, and then I'll. I'm going to say this <laughs> is that. Um, we're gonna just. Uh, we're not gonna really discuss so much about the Lost World Jurassic Park because we didn't read them because that's there's that's a sequel to the Jurassic Park and um, it was I based have off the book. read the book before. Um, I've read the Lost World twice, but I definitely want to reread it as mm-hmm. and look at it as an adaptation mm-hmm. because it's a fantastic book, which we can to discuss. We'll probably discuss in a future episode, yeah. so we won't go far into that. But we'll probably talk about the third movie and yeah. then well, yeah, so the Chris Pratt abominations. <laughs> okay, so the Lost World Jurassic Park as a movie, it's fine. I remember as a kid, I really liked it, but as as like we get older, it's not aged particularly well, and it's not the best. It's not the best when it comes to writing or how a movie is put together, but adventure-wise, if you're looking for yeah. dinosaurs to eat people, just watch The Lost World. There's a bunch of dinosaurs eating a bunch of people. Yeah. Where so, you don't get a lot of dr- dinosaurs eating a bunch of people, and, like, you don't see it as much in Jurassic Park. No. They're, like, you see... When he when they kill uh, Gennaro on the toilet, which is hilarious. Oh yeah! As a kid, that kind of freaked me. Like when I was like, yeah. when I first watched it, I was like, ah, that's funny, but <laughs> that's a little scary. And then you see people getting kind of like the suggestion of people being eaten later. But in Lost World, you straight up see dinosaurs you eating s- people. It's fucking brilliant. <laughs> Sorry for coughing. I'm like my allergies have been hell. And I'm just gross, so I right. apologize to everybody. You're you're, you're excused. Okay, so continue, Mac. Jurassic Park three, on the other hand, he we have differing opinions. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good at all. Alan. <laughs> okay, I totally agree that it's not good, but I love it still. I okay. I, I love was, it. Because... I, I do admit when I when it came out, I had. I had a big poster and it was of um, the T-Rex fighting the out the Spinosaurus. I was like, stop it, chomp. And I thought it was so dope. <laughs> then I saw the movie. So even as a kid watching the movie, like I was like, Tia Leone's character was so annoying. I hated her. I didn't like the ending because I thought it was so, it was just a cop out where they just the coast the coast guard shows up and saves them. And I just well, that's basically what happens in the first book. That's what happens in the book. Yeah, that's what's interesting is that Jurassic Park three takes a lot of elements from the book, including there's a whole scene where they're where they're escaping the aviary where all the pterodactyls are. That happened in the first book. Yeah. What basically the third movie is a combination of things that were cut out of the first and second book. Yeah. Uh, in the adaptations. In the in the in the first movie and the second Jurassic Park movie, everything that didn't make the cut from the books went into the third movie. And it does feel like that, but the reason why I like it more than cuz his ranking for Jurassic Park My movies, ranking is Jurassic Park, uh, Lost World, Jurassic World, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, Jurassic Park 3. 
See, my ranking is very different than that. Mine is Jurassic Park, Lost World, Jurassic Park 3, Jurassic World, and I haven't even seen Fallen Kingdom, but I know I fucking hate it. So, I, I know. I'm just going to be so, a hater. It's fine. But it's fine. my reasoning is why I prefer Jurassic Park 3 over Jurassic World was visually... It feels the same as the as the first movie. Like the, they have the let's see the the practical effects, the 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 CGI. It's all like it's all blended well, like the first two movies. Like so, when it comes to the art side of it, the standards are way better than like Jurassic World. Jurassic World was completion. I could not sit through that fucking movie. I ranted the whole time. I couldn't... I nerd-raged so hard. And it's just because if you have... It kills me that they did this. They had practical effects. And then they just threw that out the window. <laughs> yeah. It Sorry. Is, it, yeah. It, so, are... Matt, you were saying. <laughs> I keep interrupting you. Okay, everything you are now about Jurassic World, that's how I am about Fallen Kingdom. So, I'm going to get into spoilers for Fallen Kingdom. So, you haven't seen Fallen Kingdom, Eddie. <laughs> I'm about to fucking go nuts for it. About how much I hate it. So... The first hour is pretty good. I actually really like the idea of like a movie about them escaping the island with the, vol- the volcano's about to erupt. And that's pretty much like part of it is them getting certain dinosaurs off the island to like move it to try to restart an, a new park. But of course, they do the exact dumb thing that they did in Jurassic World where the idea is weaponizing dinosaurs. Nothing's going to go wrong with that. We made a movie where that happened and this nothing's going to go wrong, right? Of course it goes wrong. It always fucking goes wrong. I feel like they're beating to the death to death this same premise of like let's just make a park with dinosaurs. It's like we we've had like five movies of that, like three movies. Okay, we had three movies uh, of why not to make a park with dinosaurs. Yeah, and they still change it up. <laughs> they, they still don't fucking get it. So there are also bits that I don't get. So for example, there's a, the volcano erupts. Right, the volcano erupts and it destroys a good part of the park. But there's a whole other section that's completely untouched by the by by any of the volcanic activity. Why don't you move the dinosaurs there or like try to herd them over there? That makes sense, Mac. It makes so much more sense. That's why they didn't do it because it makes sense. Because it's real <laughs> Hollywood movie. Real Hollywood movie. <laughs> there's that, and I have a whole bunch of problems with the the third act. I do have to admit, I'm I think it's the best directed out of all of the non Spielberg adaptate non Spielberg Jurassic Park sequels. Simply because I'm a big fan of J. A. Bayona and I think there's there are a few scenes that I feel like they, they totally were his ideas that they that they just kind of nailed on to the rest of the film. Which it works. I can see it working. Uh, but I just really had a lot of problems with the ending because the entire the end of Fallen Kingdom contradicts everything that the book stands for. The book is a cautionary tale about genetic engineering and why dinosaurs should not really exist. It's like people the book is about what happens when humans basically run ahead without thinking 
about they're like okay we have all this like science uh scientific like advancement at our fingertips um what did uh ian malcolm said in this like you guys were so focused on whether uh, if you whether whether you could that you didn't stop to think whether you should. should and that's basically the whole book and so okay spoilers at the end of jurassic world there's a scene where or Fallen Kingdom. There's a scene where all the dinosaurs are like. There's a, a moment when um the they, they get moved to the basement of this giant manor to be sold out to, to on like the the black market of of like arms dealers. It's so fucking stupid. <laughs> it's so it makes me so angry thinking about it. And at the end, like, part of the house is destroyed and, of course, certain ones get out, but at one point, all the dinosaurs are trying to get out, and this gas is, like, filling the room, and Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard's character are, like... Wait, sh- they're still... They're ugh. still... They're, they're not a couple, so to speak, but they're in the movie. And uh, to me, I'll give credit, I know you hate Chris Pratt in it, but I think he's the most charming part of the film. Well, I just... I'm, like, but so I, mad that, like, they just wasted... Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Because I do enjoy him as an actor. I'm just... And, uh... Bright, uh Bryce Dallas, Dallas. Like, I I, I... I don't like her character. I, I hate her character. She's just... Ugh. Let me go... Let me, let me, let me go run... Let me go run and get a T-Rex in my high heels. <laughs> I'm just like... It's so annoying to... As a woman to be like... Okay, why can't she be seen... Like, not... As that, you know? Not as... Like... Yeah. Just almost like damsel in distress, like yeah. esque, and oh, it's just she's so infuriating as a character. I'm so, just, I'm like, why do you have to be this way? Yeah. Like so, if you're supposed to be like this badass in charge, like woman who's basically running this whole park, but then they're like, oh well, you know, she's gonna wear white the whole film and not get dirty, and like. Yeah, I'm like, let her get dirty. Like, the, that'll like, be a good. That'll be a good. Be, like, it would be an interesting character. Character like, development. Yeah, character like she becomes more. If, like if she's so it, like her character in the beginning of World was just like very. Um, the dinosaurs were a product, and she was you know in charge of all of this. Yeah, and it was very much like away from her. But then the park goes to shit. Of course. And she's, like, running through it, but she's still, like, pristine. Make her fucking dirty. Make her run barefoot instead of running through the forest in high heels. First off, that's a superpower. That's not real. I don't have that skill. So, at the end, all the animals are, like, in the basement, and, like, there's a gas that's filling up. And there's a moment when they realize that if they have two options, either they release these animals out into the wild... Or they let them die. Fucking kill them. And <laughs> sorry, and I'm just is, mad. <laughs> and so Pratt and Howard look at each other, and there's this moment like they need to die. They must die. And then what happens? The little girl who comes into the movie just pushes the fucking button. All the animals get out, and now and then it like shows scenes of like um like one of the one of the like. I can't remember the name. I think it's like a Lyopleurodon. The big, the big water creature, the big water dinosaur. Oh, um, is out in the open because it gets released earlier in the film. 
um, like attacking a bunch of surfers, and then it shows like some of the Vel- Velociraptor attacking or going into a suburban community, all this stuff, and they do the most. They commit the biggest crime of all. <laughs> they wasted Jeff Goldblum as Doctor Ian Malcolm. Dare they? He shows up at the beginning of the movie and the very end. And all he does is he sits there and says basically everything that he said in Jurassic Park. How stupid it was. So oh. they, does he start off the movie, life uh, finds a way, and then and ends then the like, show. I basically told you so. Yeah, basically <laughs> that's what it is. him like, I told you guys this was a bad idea. <laughs> 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 Just but as laughing. much as I hate it, nothing makes me more angry than Alan from Jurassic Park 3. So because of that, Fallen Kingdom has a lot of problems that I get really angry about, but I had well, I had more fun. I had still had a little bit of fun watching it, whereas I did I had I had very little fun watching Jurassic Park 3. That's t- like that's fair. Like Jurassic Park 3, I'm not going to pop that in the DVD every night. No. Like that's if I specifically just want to watch, like, the specific, like, the Spinosaurus. Yeah. That's literally the only reason to watch it. Yeah. Or the pterodactyl, um, the aviary part. Yeah. I, I liked that part. Basically, watching Jurassic Park 3 is just for the dinosaurs and ignoring the humans. Yeah. Because it is a shit movie. Yeah. But I was just so furious and annoyed because... At least the first three books, I mean, first three films, stayed with the book. Going yeah. back to, like, why we're talking at all in this podcast is because of a- adaptations. And I felt that the three, the first three movies stayed close to the theme. Well, the first movie, like, word for word, there's, like, characters say the same things that yeah. they do in the book. But well, at least the first three Michael films Brighton. for me were very close to the themes of the book. Whereas the fourth movie, which I don't consider at all with within the uh, the franchise. It is a franchise, but fuck that. Um, <laughs> just, it it ignores everything of the like why was the what's the point of the first three movies? What's the point of the book even if they're just gonna... I don't know. It just pisses me off. I was just so mad because the 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 Jurassic World took everything before it and was like, <laughs> what? And threw it out the window. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I have a huge issue with the new movies because it just... It totally diverges from the books and it's not even an adaptation. It's it, For me, it's not even original. None of it's original. No, you're, you're right. And a lot, the third that, movie tried to be original. It fucking fell flat. And but I, it tried. I'll I, give I, it credit. It I, I respect it for trying to be something original off of like the the first Jurassic Park movies. It was terrible. But the third the third movie basically was like, let's just recycle the fourth movie, but also like sprinkle in some of the second with just dinosaurs and but we'll have buff Chris Pratt in it. Just but so seriously we, though, Alan. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I see your point. Okay. So, all in all, <coughs> Jurassic Park is fucking awesome. Yeah. And to the quote, book, the and movie, 
bowing and to quote to quote Swiss Army Man, you don't know Jurassic Park, you don't know shit. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing. It's I honestly like as a book is one of the most fun books I've ever read. I had I had a really good time like listening to it and I was, was geeking out the whole time. Oh, this yeah. is like I think this is my second read through of the book. Um because I'd read it, I think, like, a year or two before. Um, so it was really nice to pick it up again and just get excited about the story all over again. Because, like, even though I knew what had happened, what was... And I kind of remember parts as I'd go through, it was, stu- it was still, like, stressful. There were parts that where I was, like, yeah, the suspense. It, it's just well-written book to begin with, and it, it makes you think. You're like, holy shit. Genetic engineer. It's like a speculative, a speculative fiction, and I'm all yeah. about that shit. Yeah. So, so as we are, as we wrap up this episode, we also want to point out that we're gonna. This is a summer where we're gonna be. We we decided we took on one really great Michael Crichton adaptation. Our next one is gonna be on a. Bad adaptation. Bad adaptation. And Out of a pretty good book, because I've already I've read about half of the book previously, but um, now I want to dive into it again. I'm going to dive in. I, I've not seen the film. Oh. I know it's... I was going through a Gerard Butler phase. I had to watch the film. We're talking about timeline, it people. It is timeline. Also, it has trebuchets in it, and as... The superior people, siege weapon. The superior... See, those who know me... Know me that I love siege weaponry. Those that know me know that my favorite siege weapon, the ultimate siege weapon, is the trebuchet. I actually own two. Because I'm a cool kid. <laughs> I, no, no, I just imagine, like, behind your apartment, you have a giant trebuchet all set up, and you're, like, ready to, like, shoot stuff into, the, into, the, into Lake Michigan or something. Oh, yeah. That'd be really That's how I, I travel to class, it. dude. I just <laughs> shoot myself through. <laughs> it gets you yards, on a catapult. <laughs> 300 yards. So, uh, yeah, so we will be tackling timeline. So keep an eye out for for that. Hopefully it'll be out by um, at some point next it'll, month. Yeah, it, yeah. well, we'll be, we're actually going to record it soon. So, yeah. So keep your eyes and ears out, folks. Yep. And as always, thanks for listening. At Lowe's, we're committed to doing things right for our military. That means a 10% military discount, not just on holidays, but every day. Doing it right means extending that 10% discount to veterans, active military, and their family members. And it definitely means showing our appreciation for your service every day. Do it right. Start with Lowe's. Easy enrollment at Lowe's.com military. Discount on eligible items only. Terms and conditions apply. See Lowe's.com military for details.